Hello everyone and welcome to episode 58 of the Unlocking British English podcast, a podcast where I talk about a variety of different topics in real British English so that you can improve your listening comprehension, learn a little bit more about British culture and about how to learn languages more effectively. My name is Shane and in today's episode we're going to talk about the history of the BBC, uh, where it all started and how it's all developed up until now. So uh, I'm sure most of you have heard of the BBC. It's a very big organisation, a very big company. Uh, but we're going to talk about how it all started, uh, what it is, what its purpose is, uh, and what kind of role it's played in British life and British culture over the years. So yeah, uh, this episode might be a little bit of a longer one because the BBC has plenty of history and lots of things to talk about. But I'm going to try and keep to the most important stuff and not go on too much. Uh, so yeah, before I get into the full episode, as always, if you would like to download the transcript for this episode, you can do that for free on the website, that is www.unlockingbritishenglish.com. Also, if you have any suggestions for future episodes, if there are things that you would like to hear me speak about in future episodes of the podcast, feel free to get in touch with me. You can contact me uh, on Instagram at Unlocking British English, or you can contact me via email. The details will be in the description wherever you are listening to this episode. So yeah, let's get into it. The BBC. So originally known as the British Broadcasting Corporation, we didn't have the shortening initially. Uh, the BBC is the national broadcasting company of the United Kingdom. Uh, it's the world's oldest national broadcaster and it's the largest broadcaster in the world by number of employees. Uh, so again, big organisation. Um, the work that the BBC does is actually funded mainly by uh, an annual TV license fee, which is charged to all British households, everyone that lives in the UK, all different companies and organisations, anyone that uses any type of equipment to uh, receive or record live television, right, to watch live television, BBC and stuff like that. Um, this, of course, the fact that people pay uh, to fund the BBC, this, of course, is a topic of contention, of argument occasionally, but we're not going to get into that part of it today. Um, it's an, It suffices to say that it's not a huge amount of money that each person pays, but not everyone's necessarily so happy about it. But that's where the money comes from. It comes from the British people, from the public, uh, and that fee is set the price, the, the amount that people pay is set by the British government, uh, you know, agreed by Parliament, uh, and that's used to fund the, the BBC's radio, TV and, and online services. Um, and so ever since its initial beginnings, uh, throughout its coverage of the Second World War and up to the popularisation of TV in the post-war era and the explosion of the internet, the BBC has played a huge and important role in British life and culture uh, in a variety of different ways. So yeah, I thought it would be cool to talk about it today. So let's get started. Let's start at the beginning, right? So our story, or the BBC's story, starts in the 1920s. So the BBC was actually 
formed in October of 1922. Uh, it was initially formed by a group of different sort of technology companies, wireless companies, manufacturers and things like that. Uh, the first daily broadcast, the first daily radio show, because of course when the BBC started it was uh, just with radio, the first daily broadcast was in November of that same year of 1922 um, from a studio in London. Uh, and so at the end of that year, at the end of 1992, or so a month later, uh, a man called John Reith, who was uh, actually a Scottish engineer, he wasn't uh, someone that had any kind of experience with radio or things like that, uh, this guy was appointed the general manager of the BBC, right, the, the man in charge. So. This guy, John Reith, he's usually kind of generally thought of as being the kind of the initial guy, right? More or less the founder of the BBC. Uh, and so, yeah, he takes charge uh, at the end of, of 1922. And because there are no rules, there are no standards or, or even an established purpose of what radio is, what its purpose is, what what should it do, what can it do. There are no rules, there's no standards, you know, to guide him or to give him specific inspiration necessarily. Um, he basically just started innovating, started creating, experimenting, uh, organizing different things and trying to just expand in general. Um, so, you know, there was all kinds of different stuff, you know, news series, talk shows, those kinds of things. Um, but the BBC was also used, uh, the radio of the BBC was also used to mark time. Uh, so in 1924, we started to hear these uh, six electronic beeps that would uh, indicate the the time it would mark the precise start of each hour um, that, that still can be heard on some radio stations but it's less frequent now but uh, so that was one of the initial uses was to, to help people know you know when the hour was starting to let people know you know roughly what time it was um, and, and at this point in these first couple of years the BBC is just a normal company let's say it's just run by um, different people different investors in 1927 that changes slightly so the BBC becomes established by what's called a royal charter um, a royal charter basically is just like a, a an official document um, that basically grants this kind of official legal status to a company, to a body um, of people, or something like that. Um, and it's used to kind of you know define the objectives, the powers, and the obligations, the things that this company or this group needs to do. A royal charter, for example, is often used to create a university. So it's it's you know it's not just a company ran by you know a group of people that can just do whatever they want they're free to you know run their university more or less how they want to but they have to follow these basic ideals right what are the objectives of a university what are its obligations what powers does it have what can it do and what can't it do um, and so in, in the case of the BBC it's mostly just concerned with you know like the policies of, of yeah what's its purpose and and things like that but anyway in 1927 it becomes um, this kind of legally official 
power, let's say. I mean, the idea of a royal charter is quite confusing, so don't worry about it. I still don't really understand it uh, in English myself. So basically, it's just a fancy um, legal official sort of document or whatever that gives it some some kind of official powers. Um, so yeah, it becomes, uh, becomes a much bigger institution in 1927 because of this royal charter. Um, and yeah, through the 20s, the, the 1920s, there's just more of this kind of exploration, testing. Um, there was the first kind of experimental television broadcasts were, were broadcast from a, a studio in London again using the BBC's frequencies. Um, this was, again, just a test of experiments, not just not full on television, uh, but the pictures were just in like black and white using a couple of weird old machines um but yeah so we they they continue to explore and and try different things through the 1920s uh and then into the 1930s you know they the things start to continue to grow um in in may of 1930 they move from a rented studio they move to their own purpose built studio right a building that's been created just for them instead of buying some office somewhere and turning it into a studio right um it, the, the popularity of radio in general is growing a lot most people have access to radio uh, and because of this in december of 1932 King George V becomes the first monarch to broadcast on radio, the first king or queen to speak to his people through the radio. Um, in 1936, uh, the BBC was the first broadcaster in the world to provide uh, a regular high-definition television service. Um, of course, we're using the phrase high-definition um, with, uh, well, we'll take that phrase with a pinch of salt, as we would say, if you're not uh, aware of that kind of phrase it just means you know we're not believing it totally high definition you know means a different thing now than it did in 1936 but anyway they started to broadcast a regular television service that had a, a, a relatively clear definition let's say um, and they, they you know they were showing all the normal kinds of programs that we would expect to see today drama sports reporting from outside cartoons different stuff um, but that didn't go on for long because uh, three years later in 1939 of course uh, the second world war breaks out uh, and that brings a halt to the development of programs and um, and different things like that uh, but the the war itself the second world war whilst it was negative for the development of some areas of television and, and different programs and things like that it wasn't all negative you know for the BBC in general uh, and the BBC's role uh, during the Second World War was seen as pretty fundamental. Um, they, they saw a lot of changes that they had to make during that time. They started to uh, do live reporting from battle scenes in, even. Um, it was a fundamental source of, of news, of propaganda and different things like that. Um, and so coverage of the war was a big thing for the BBC and the BBC's role in covering the Second World War is credited with uh, uniting the Britain, uniting the nation, uh, but also with winning the sympathy of the US citizens who would later, of course, join the war, um, which was again was seen as very important because uh, the US, you know, it wasn't clear that the US had any interest really in joining the Second World War. Um, and obviously that became, you know, very pivotal later on. Um, 
yeah, and in in 1938 they also started their their first foreign language broadcast in Arabic. So this actually was just before the war, but obviously we're still in the 1930s. Um, yeah, they introduced an announcer called Ahmad Effendi, who was recruited from an Egyptian radio service, and he was the voice of the BBC's first foreign service, which was broadcast in Arabic. Uh, and so yeah, as we continue on into the 1940s. Uh, uh, again, you know, through the first half of the 1940s, we continue with the war coverage, all these kind of things. And so the BBC is largely focused on that. Um, but post-war, things start to change again. So once the war finishes, as we come into 1946 and, and later on, uh, we start to see more new programs, more new innovations and things like that. Um, you know, the post-war BBC looked a lot different. We had the first Olympic Games was broadcast. There was children's television. Um, we had the first means of recording live television so it could be shown again, which was big. Um, yeah, a few different interesting things. So in October of 1946, we have two very interesting introductions. Uh, the first was the introduction of Women's Hour. So this was the first dedicated radio program for women. Um, and from early on, it was a program that wasn't afraid to tackle, you know, difficult issues. It talked about real things. Um, so that was seen as, a, you know, a big advancement. Uh, and at the same time, there was also a children's television service uh, that started in October of 1946 as well after the war. Um, and yeah, they had a few different different children's shows. Uh, the most popular children's show in the beginning was a show that was called Muffin the Mule. Uh, a mule's basically like a donkey, right? And he was just a wooden puppet uh, who was accompanied by uh, a lady called Annette Mills who played the piano and those two had a little children's show that was very popular for about nine years. Um, then as we get later into the 1940s, uh, as, tele as interest in the television starts to grow and more people are getting access to the television, there's more demand for dedicated news services. So the BBC launches BBC Newsreel, uh, which kind of would paint a picture of the day's events, filmed like a, a sequence of short reports and talked about the most important things. Um, and so that was like uh, the first kind of dedicated news service, BBC ne Newsreel, sorry, in uh, 1940. Uh, again, as I mentioned before, in 1948 also, the Olympics are broadcast on TV. Um, at this point, there's approximately 100,000 houses in the UK that have a television, uh, but a lot of hours of Olympic coverage were shown on the BBC, around 70 hours of Olympic coverage, which is quite a lot considering that, you know, not many people had a TV. Um, and most viewers at that time, they were watching on, on very small screens. So on average, these screens would be about 25 centimeters uh, by 20 centimeters, a very small rectangle, um, you know, something like having two iPhones or something, but obviously much less quality. Uh, but in its day, this was, you know, this was, um, you know, very technical and very technically advanced. Um, and the broadcasting of the Olympics was a very technically advanced endeavor. It was seen as quite a, a risk, let's say, because you had, um, you know, reporting of things outside in, you know, in the streets that was still quite new and it was still quite difficult. And this involved lots of venues, lots of cameras, lots of connections, all kinds of different reporters and screens and, and different things. And so, um, yeah, that was seen as quite a big triumph uh, at that time. Um, and then 
1949, we saw the return of weather forecasts. So weather being shown on the on the television actually started just before World War II, but then it was abandoned. Uh, it wasn't necessary. Uh, that then came back in July of 1949. Uh, initially, you didn't have the person on the screen you would just have like a picture of some charts some some information and then you'd have a voice talking over um, the big change to that format actually came later uh, in 1954 a few years later and that's when we had the the weather man standing in front of the screen right standing in front of the map and pointing to stuff and the idea that we have of the weatherman but the weather starts being broadcast in in 1949 um, and then we come into the 1950s and so the 1950s was really seen as a, a decade of television for the BBC. Um, we had the the televising of the coronation of, of Queen Elizabeth. Uh, radio was still very important and we had some important stuff happen on the radio, but television was starting to become more popular, more accessible, and the BBC was getting access to lots more different stuff. And so, um, yeah, it wasn't all TV. Like I say, the radio was still very popular. And in May of 1950 was the beginning of a show called The Archers, uh, which is the world's longest running soap opera opera still going um, it's set in a fictitious rural village um, like you know out of the city right somewhere in the countryside um, it was first broadcast just as a trial program for a, a small amount of people um, and it the idea was to promote kind of good agricultural practice meaning like good farming good living in that kind of in that kind of world um but it was very popular and they started broadcasting it all you know all across the uk and now it's it's a, a national institution everyone everyone knows about it well maybe less so for young people these days but again it's the longest running soap opera in the world so pretty well known um and then in in June of 1953, for the first time ever, we have the coronation moment seen live. Um, so, you know, the actual coronation of the Queen is seen live on telly. Um, and this kind of transformed the history of television. Uh, this was such a huge event that it saw a massive boost in the sale of black and white televisions. Uh, over 20 million people across Europe watched the event. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's said that most people were gathered around other people's televisions, right? You had neighbours all grouped in one house watching on this one tiny telly because at this point not everyone had a television or not many people had a television. Uh, and so the coronation, seeing Queen Elizabeth crowned on live television, boosted the interest and the sales of television in general. Um so that was very big for TV. Uh, in 1958, the BBC started Blue Peter, um, which is another show that's been running for more than, than 50 years. It's kind of uh, aimed more towards uh, children. Uh, it works with like uh, charities. It does different like arts and craft, creating stuff. It teaches different things. It's, it's quite a diverse little program, but um, yeah, that's another quite important show that's been you know part of the fabric of British culture for a long time that started through the BBC in, in 1958 um, and during the 50s in general the BBC is involved in the development of a lot of different sound design and recording equipment um, that we'll see being put to use in the next decade in the 1960s so as we get into the 1960s 
this is a decade of, of color, um, lots of drama in terms of genres of TV shows, um, and lots more international collaboration. Um, so in November of 1963, we have the first episode of Doctor Who, another very, very popular British TV show. Um, and yeah, this this was this was brought out at a time where you know science fiction was still quite new, especially in the world of television. Um, and Doctor Who was like one of the first TV shows to start to try and use these different effects that the modern television was starting to be able to create, both visually and sonically, right? With with the the visual aspects and the sound. Um, you know, the Doctor Who theme has these all all these kind of weird kind of electronic or kind of sounds, which now today. Are quite you know might be quite normal but commonplace but at the time it was very new nothing like really you know any anyone had ever seen um in in june of 1967 uh we had the launch of our world so this was the the bbc's attempt the first attempt to kind of broadcast uh to to multiple countries so um you know, pictures by satellite had been received by the BBC for a few years from the from the US and different stuff, but it wasn't possible to connect the entire world on a live broadcast uh, until later in the 1960s. So the BBC was the first broadcaster to attempt um, that kind of program. So Our World was a live, non-political show. Um, talking about all kinds of different stuff they commissioned the Beatles to sing a song um, for its contribution and yeah so you have the first live international broadcast in 1967 um, and also in 1967 you also have the first full color service in Europe launched on BBC launched sorry on BBC2 um, you could see the occasional program in color before that but in 1967 was when uh, the BBC launched BBC two and that was the first full color service so everything that you saw on BBC two was in full color uh, and and the tennis uh, played at Wimbledon was actually the first thing that was shown uh, on that on that service in color so um, yeah you have the first entire channel that's dedicated entirely in color um, and also in 1967 later that year we have the start of BBC Radio 1 which is you know now a very very popular radio show um, and this actually was born because at the time there were a lot of pirate radio shows pirate radio being illegal radio basically or or, or unofficial radio uncommissioned radio um, so the government kind of cracked down on these different pirate radio stations which left a bit of a gap in the market so to speak because a lot of these pirate radio shows were younger people talking about stuff that was more interesting to them playing music that was more interesting to them and so the launch of BBC Radio 1 was actually used to try and meet the demand of the youth market it was it was, it was to appeal to a younger audience so BBC Radio 1 started in again in 1967 um, and so then we come into the 1970s uh, we have a lot more interesting stuff again happening here in the 1970s so at the beginning of 1970 
the BBC joins forces with the Open University. The Open University is kind of like the main distance university in the UK. So if you want to, to, to study at university to get a degree, but you can't go to the university, you can't be there in person, the Open University is usually the most popular option. They offer lots of different degrees for people that can study, you know, um, at home, um, for, you know, for whatever reason. And so the BBC joins forces with the Open University to create this long-standing partnership um, that sort of transforms um, education in a way because they start doing these early morning and late night broadcasts, they have written materials, um, and, and this partnership sort of becomes a bit of an international model for distance learning to have... Um, you know these these different um, shows created to teach people about all these different topics and you know you could see stuff about uh, you know genetic engineering you could see stuff about politics uh, all kinds of different stuff right whatever it is that you wanted to learn about then in April of 1972 uh, we have the first children's TV news broadcast uh, so a show called News Round was started uh, and this was the first attempt to give children a news service that was like specific to them so um, yeah there was a guy uh, and it's quite funny they had him sitting on the front of a desk rather than sitting behind a desk and the reason was because they didn't want children to be reminded of a school teacher so they had the guy sitting on front of the desk uh, rather than sitting behind the desk like a normal news reporter would because they thought children would think of him just as a as a teacher and would be bored and wouldn't listen to him so yeah you have that starting in 1972 uh, a bit of a random one to be honest I don't know why we need news specifically for children but anyway um, we also, in 1974, there was the launch of what's called CFAX, um, which is kind of like a play on words like see facts, see things that are true. Anyway, this is the world's first teletext service, right? The first where you have like text on screen. Um, originally, this technology was designed to provide subtitles but it became this whole teletext service so it had information on on all kinds of topics you could you could read news reports on it you could see weather forecasts you could read about sports uh you could look at like the program of the telly what was going to be shown um and yeah that that was huge for for a lot of people obviously it gave access to um, to deaf people and people that were hard of hearing to a lot more information a lot more content but it also just you know gave a lot more information to, to everyone in general um, and that was a precursor to what what becomes the red button service which we will get to uh, in a couple of decades um, and then at the end of the 1970s we have life on earth which is the beginning of the legend that is David Attenborough right so we did have um, natural history music uh, sorry natural history programs uh, and different stuff like that on TV before but it wasn't until David Attenborough's life on earth that this genre really started to take off uh, and they showed you know all kinds of stuff around the world and uh, and even at this time where he's a lot younger he still has his epic voice it's quite cool to go back and see some clips from that so yeah at the end of the the 70s we have the beginning of David Attenborough um, from there we move into the 1980s 
Uh, and this is a decade of quite a lot of conflict. The BBC found itself torn between covering stuff happening in the Falkland Islands, stuff happening in Northern Ireland, um, the Soviet Union, Eastern Europe, all kinds of different stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a very international um, decade. We also see um, the live aid that comes from BBC News reporting in Africa. Um, the BBC News reporting in Africa showing the famine that was happening in Ethiopia. That led to Bob Geldof uh, starting the live aid uh, thing that happened in 1985. But um, yeah, there's, there's quite a lot of interesting stuff again that happens in the 80s. We have uh, Prince Charles and Lady Diana's wedding that had a, a global audience of around three quarters of a billion people, 750 million people, making it the most popular program ever broadcast. Um, the BBC launches something called a microcomputer in 1982, which is uh, kind of hoped to inspire a younger generation to get interested in computers. That kind of creates a bit of a boost in interest in technology around that kind of stuff. It was quite heavily involved in the school system at that point. Uh, in it's January sorry, of 1983, we also have the first breakfast TV show. So Breakfast Time was launched. Um, and yeah, that kind of changes the schedules forever. Breakfast TV has become a big part of of uh, television in general, not just of British TV. Um, in February of 1985, we have the arrival of EastEnders, which is still the BBC's most watched programmes, one of Britain's most successful soap operas in general. Um, uh, we had a, a, an entire episode on soap operas, so uh, if you're interested more in that, then you can go check that out. Uh, and as I mentioned in, in 1985, also in July, we had Live Aid, which was a multi-venue rock concert organised by Bob Geldof. Um, and that was to raise funds for the Ethiopia famine relief um, and was one of the largest kind of multi-country uh, satellite link-ups to be able to broadcast. Uh, had an estimated 400 million viewers shown across 60 countries. So yeah, that was, that was big. Um, then we come into the 90s. This, of course, is where we start to go digital. So the BBC starts to, to go online. Uh, it starts to be able to promote stuff online. Um, in, in September of 1995, there's the introduction of the digital radio. Uh, digital radio was promoted heavily by the BBC. And as a result of that, uh, the UK became digital a lot quicker than a lot of other European countries. Um, the benefits of going from digital, sorry, from analog to digital, of course, uh, things like you don't have the interference, you can get extra information about the program and different things like that. Um, in 97, in November of 1997, the BBC starts BBC News 24, which is its first 24-hour news service. Uh, later on, again in 97, we have the launch of BBC.co.uk. Um, so the BBC were quite sort of um, they had their finger on the pulse, so to speak, with the internet. They saw that it was going to be quite important, so they tried to, you know, get the advice of some of the younger members of the BBC uh, and they, they started the BBC.co.uk um, and then in 98, in 1998, the BBC launches its first completely digital channel uh, called BBC Choice which includes daily sports shows and all kinds of different content that you can access uh, from lots of different lots of different ways um, and then we get into what we call the noughties 
uh, not naughty like behaving badly, but naught as in zero. So obviously when we talk about 1970, it's the 70s, 1990, it's the 90s. When we get to the year 2000 up until 2010, we call it the noughties because we're going from you know, naught until 10, zero until 10. Anyway, uh, you know, we, we continue with the digital res, res, uh, revolution, the digital revolution that started in the 90s, um, including, you know, a switch to completely digital, which happens in, in 2012. But um, various things happen through this decade. In, in July of 2007, we have BBC iPlayer, uh, which was their kind of online streaming uh, service right this was initially just thought of uh, as a way to for people to catch up on things they missed right if you didn't see it live you can watch it on iPlayer but it's become of course much more than that um, in 2008 we see the BBC red button service uh, I talked about the CFAX earlier this teletext um, from that becomes the red button service it's called the red button service because uh, initially it was the red button that you would press on your remote to access it um, and this just gave you access like to video on demand you could um, you could do like quiz questions you know TV shows might ask you to vote on certain things you could do that directly through the television now uh, rather than having to phone a certain phone number for example uh, all kinds of different stuff like that and just find more background information um, they start the BBC started to test things like 3d uh, in July of 2011 um, there was um, 3D tennis, so the 125th anniversary of Wimbledon uh, was shown, uh, it had 3D coverage available of that for free if you had televisions that enabled 3D. Uh, this we've moved into the next kind of decade, I guess, now into 2010. Um, yeah, they start to uh, experiment with 3D and 4K, higher resolution. You have the BBC radio app, so most of the, the radio stuff is now focused on the app rather than uh, you know through the radios themselves of course people still use radios but a lot more people are using applications and and that's kind of changing things and so that pretty much brings us you know up to current date you know the BBC of course is still experimenting with these different high quality resolutions still trying to work out you know the the future of apps and all this different stuff the future of the internet virtual reality is becoming uh, more of a thing and so yeah that essentially is a well I was going to say a short history of the BBC. I don't think it is in fact a short history of the BBC. Uh, I've rambled through quite a lot of stuff but hopefully you found it relatively interesting. There's quite a, a lot of cool stuff that has happened during the BBC's history and like I say you know from its initial inception all the way until now it's been a big and important part of British culture um, whether it's certain programs that it's introduced certain technology that it has either created or promoted heavily uh, to things like the coverage of the war and stuff like that um, uh, international coverage supplying news and information in a variety of different languages the BBC has has you know services in over 40 languages I think now um, and so yeah it's an important institution um, it's not all good stuff there are plenty of people that have complaints about the BBC about the way it's run about different things that they do or don't do but 
but um, yeah, it's important uh, to know a little bit about it, so that's why I decided to talk about it in today's episode. So yeah, I hope you guys have found it interesting and useful. If you have any questions about anything that I've talked about today, feel free to get in touch. And yeah, thank you for listening as always, and I look forward to speaking to you again in the next episode.